You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. What a blessing. All right, keep your Bibles out here as we're going to look at several passages this morning. We're looking at an event in Scripture uh, here in 1 Chronicles 15. The Bible says, And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it uh, a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God, but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him for, uh, forever. Now, this is not the first time that they went to go after the ark. When we look at this passage of Scripture, there's about a 10-month ten, uh, ten uh, timeline, a period that uh, encompasses this, this whole event. This is the second time that David has gone uh, to retrieve the ark. Now, the ark of God, if you remember, uh, was, was, a, uh, was the, uh, the, the, cov- the ark of the covenant. It was a chest, if you would, and with that, uh, it was a golden chest, it was overlaid in gold, and the Ten Commandments were in there, uh, uh, Aaron's, or Aaron's rod that budded, uh, an omer of Oreos were in there, and so uh, the manna was in there, and so uh, the, that ark uh, was a chest, and on top of that chest was the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the location that the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement would take that sacrificed blood and he would enter into the Holy of Holies and apply that blood on the mercy seat. On both sides of that mercy seat, uh, there were uh, cherubims uh, beaten out of pure gold, angel wings, if you would, that were uh, coming before and they overshadowed that mercy seat. And that was a, uh, that Ark of the Covenant Uh, went with God's people. It led God's people. It was the first thing out when they would travel. Everything was following it. It it was symbolic of the presence and power of God in Israel's life. So this was a, it wasn't just another piece of furniture. You know, can you imagine, you know, there are some pieces of furniture that we just are dying to have. We just got to get it. Uh, the ladies usually are the ones that are dying to get it. And you, you find that piece of furniture, and a couple years later, it's out on the uh, front of the house, and it says, free. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, okay, it did for a time, and uh, then you can get rid of it. That wasn't the case with the Ark of the Covenant. This was very central to their, to their worship. And so we have the, the nation of Israel, and the ark of God was there for battles. It was there when they crossed the Red Sea. It was, it was there, it was very present in their, their daily walk. Now with that, though, uh, there was a time when the ark of the covenant was lost. First Samuel chapter 4, we read about the battle. The Philistines, the armies of, uh, of the Philistines had attacked Israel, and in Shiloh, they lost the Ark of the Covenant. The 30,000 footmen died in that battle, and then the Ark of the Covenant was taken away. When Eli, the priest, 
He was a judge for 40 years, but he was also the high priest. And when Eli heard about that at, at 90 years of age, uh, the Bible says that he fell over backward and broke his neck and he died. And his two sons were uh, in, which were wicked sons, but they were killed in that battle as well. And now the very presence of God, the very the symbol of the presence and power of God in their lives has been taken away. That central part of their worship has been removed. And now the Philistines have the ark. Well, the Philistines keep that ark for seven months and and as they have that for uh, seven months, we, we see that there, was, there were problems that came in. You know, the presence of God and the presence of false gods do not dwell together. And we read it how, how Dagon, the Philistine god, uh, was, was there. And when they brought uh, the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon, that the next day when the Philistines came in, Dagon was laying on his face. Uh, he, had, he had knocked over uh, God's power. God is a jealous God, the Bible tells us. Uh, he will not have any other God before him. And, and so here we have uh, the, this ark, uh, and there were, there were problems with their, their deity that uh, was, was broken down. Uh, there were plagues that they faced and, and health issues that the Philistines uh, endured uh, because of, these, uh, because of uh, the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and finally, after seven months, they go to Gibeah and they just drop the ark off. We don't want anything to do with this. Uh, it has been nothing but problems. And so they ended up uh, rejecting. And we, we read how, how David goes and, and he is going to... He is going to return, and he is going to, to take the Ark of the Covenant back. And, and in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read how, how David and, and 30,000 men uh, go to pick up the Ark. But David chose to do it a new way. He chose to look at it and think, you know what? This idea of the Levites carrying that ark, that ark is heavy. What's it really matter if we carry it or if we put it on a cart? I mean, after all, this is 900 B.C. And here we have David and his leadership he chooses to take and put the Ark of a Covenant on top of a cart, which was not how God said to transport it. The Levites were to carry the Ark. And we find that as they were moving that Ark, how, how it was unstable, and Uzzah reached out and touched the Ark, and he died. And we find how then the Ark is now going to be left at Obed-Edom's house for three months. David was mad at God because God had a breach against uh, Israel. And it wasn't God's fault. God was the one that already told him how things were supposed to operate. You know, God is a God of divine method, not just divine message. God's, God's methods are still for 2021. 
And the idea to say, well, you know what, we just need to do everything different. I'm not saying that there aren't things that we do differently. I'm thankful for copy machines instead of mimeograph machines. I'm thankful that we don't have to employ scribes to, uh, to mass produce the Bible. There are a lot of wonderful things in technology, but when it comes to doing things that God gives us a method, we need to follow it. And, and no matter what the year is, in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 7, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And so, uh, so he, was, uh, he was killed for the error of disobeying God. God is a God of love, but God is also a God of judgment. He's a God of judgment. And so now the, the ark is left at the house of Obed-Edom, and, and for three months it's there, and David starts hearing how God has blessed Obed-Edom. And he's like, I'm missing out. I don't want Obed-Edom to have all these blessings. I want to have all these blessings. And so now he chooses to go and get the ark. And that's where we're at in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Uh, in verse number 2, it says, uh, 1 Chronicles 15, 2, And David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Oh, uh, he, he now is recognizing that God's ways are to be followed. Uh, for them hath he chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared for it. Verse number 1 of chapter 16, the Bible says, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. Skip down to verse 7. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord in his hand of Asaph and his brethren. So now what we find is there were, uh, there were multiple months in this timeline, uh, but now we see that there were multiple events that are taking place, and there are multiple passages of Scripture that we'll come back to. So when we look at uh, chapter number 16 of, of uh, uh, Chronicles here, and uh, we find that there is a psalm that David has penned uh, that he gives to Asaph to be sung as the ark of God is coming back. We also find that in, in Psalm chapter 96 that there also uh, is a psalm uh, that is tied to, first chrono to Chronicles 16 here, uh, also penned by David, and it was revolving around this same event. Now, which one came first, we don't know, but what we do know is that the presence of God, the, the symbol, the religious symbol of the power of God, the presence presence of God in their life is back. And it had an impact on how they lived. This psalm that we look at here, and we're not going to read all of it this morning, but as we look at the psalm, we find how God has, has moved them to, to recognize when he does something in your life, that you and I are to respond to it. And so here, what we're going to look at this morning is it's back. 
The title of the message this morning is, It's Back. And let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help all of us, Lord, to recognize your workings in our lives. I pray that uh, we would anticipate uh, you having first place, that uh, we would look for your leading and guidance in our lives. And, and Lord, as we learn from Israel, we learn from the mistakes of others, I pray that you would help us, uh, Lord, to uh, take that instruction, that admonition, and then help us, Lord, to learn from it. Uh, so help us this morning as we look at this, this uh, thought this morning. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. So it's back. What was back? It was the ark was back. And so 1 Chronicles 16, verse 7 to uh, 36, there's a psalm of David. Psalm 96 is also that psalm that correlates with uh, 1 Chronicles 16. And, uh, and with that, uh, the, the premise and the process and the, the purpose of, of these psalms, these two psalms, they were all tied together. Uh, but what we find, though, ultimately, is the ark was back. And with the ark being back with the people of God, there was, there was a response to that. There was a response to, to them recognizing and seeing God's, uh, God, the symbol of God's presence in their life. So Psalm 96 is where we're going to jump to now. Take your Bibles, go to Psalm 96. Uh, First Chronicles was a springboard this morning. Uh, so Psalm chapter uh, 96, and I want you to look with me as we look at four different, uh, uh, four different responses to the presence of God coming back uh, to Jerusalem and to God's people. Look with me at verse number one. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen. His wonders among all people. What do we find here? We find, first of all, when the presence of God is back, number one, you find God's people. Number one, they are going to sing. They are going to sing. There was joy uh, that they were receiving here. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name and show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. What do we find? There is just a song that is there. You know, as God's presence in his, is in our lives, then there ought to be a song. There ought to be a song. There ought to be a song that is in us. There should be a song in our heart, but there ought not just be a song in our heart. There ought to be a song on our lips. It ought to be going forth and praising the Lord uh, in, in, in worship uh, with our music here. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord uh, 17 times. Uh, we find the phrase in the Word of God uh, that is uh, that that. Uh uh, sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord. Ten times we find that, that phrase in Psalms. And, you know, what do we find? We find that, that as God's presence is in our life, there's going to be a song. There's going to be a song. He said, well, pastor, I don't have a song. Then you need to get you a song. 
You need to grab a hold of a song. You need to grab a hold of one of the hymns and the psalm, maybe a psalm. Uh, you need to grab a hold of a song that is your song with the Lord, uh, a song that you can sing that just causes you to praise the Lord, a song that's there, uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, this, is, this is something that is going to help you. God's presence in your life will help you. It will help your attitude. God's absence will also affect our attitude. Just think about how many times you have a song. And you have a song, everything's good. Does it, does it negate real problems in life? No. But just think about what it does to your spirit. But when you don't have a song, do you know what you have? You have frustration. You have negativity. All you see is problems. I've been there. And, and here we see that the Lord, he wants us to have a song. We ought to have a song. There ought to be a song in our heart. Uh, Psalm 13, 6, I will sing unto the Lord because he had dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 30, verse 4, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at remembrance of his holiness. Psalm 95, 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Uh, Psalm 96, 2, sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day today. You know what that tells me? That over and over again, we see that our song is referencing to the blessings of God in our life. Our salvation is tied to that song. And if we are thankful for what the Lord has given us in our salvation, we ought to have a song. We ought to have a song. Are you saved this morning? You know, if you're saved... There might be many other burdens. There might be a lot of problems. But if you're saved, your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your sins are forgiven. You have a promise of eternal life. Uh, I give unto them eternal life. Uh, they shall never perish, the Bible tells us. Uh, what do we find? Uh, we find that there's a song. You just start looking at your salvation. You say, well, pastor, I've got all these problems. I know everybody else does too. Everybody has problems. But if you focus on your salvation, you focus on the, the goodness and the graciousness of Almighty God in your life, that'll give you a song. That'll give you a song. You say, Pastor, I'm not, sh I'm not sure what song. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. From the book of life, they've all been torn out. I don't remember them anymore. You know, there ought to be a song. You ought to have just some, some uh, a song of joy in your own soul. Uh, so what do we find when the Lord's presence is in our life? We, we see that, there, that we will sing. We see, secondly, that we will praise. 
we will praise. Verse 4 to 6 of Psalm 96, it said, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Uh, and that word there for praise, uh, it is, he is worthy to be praised. It is to be extolled. That word extolled means to praise, to laud. It means to eulogize. Now, eulogize is not a term that we use until we are talking about a funeral. But just stop and think about it. At a funeral, what do you do? You have an obituary. What is that? That is a summation of the actions, the life, the essence, the relationship of that individual. And you tell the good things about that person. You know, I've been at a few funerals where people went off on the bad things of somebody that passed. That's tragic. That ought not ever be the case. But when we think about God, there's never anything bad to say. There's only good. There's only wonderful things to look at. There's only wonderful things to share. And as we look at the Lord, uh, we are to eulogize. We are to give an account of the person, of who he is, the accomplishments. You think about the, uh, the Old Testament. What do, we, what do we find over and over and over again? When they would talk about God, he was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. What were they doing? They're, they are talking about generations of a relationship of who God is and how God acted towards the nation of Israel. They are given a historical event about how great God was. You think about how many times we read about the wilderness wanderings and how God protected them and how God provided for them. Their clothes waxed not old. Their feet did not swell. They didn't have to go shopping. Amen. Mrs. Brown hasn't been able to drive since she's had uh, some issues with her health. And, and so with that, uh, other, the, lady, the girls have been uh, doing most of the shopping, but I got stuck this week doing some of it and, uh, and doing some of the, the running. I hate shopping. I do. But you know what? God, God provided for his people. See, it's spiritual not to go shopping. <laughs> You say, Pastor, you, you go shopping. No, I go buying. Now, I, I don't mind going. I guess I do shop a little bit at uh, maybe Bass Pro or Cabela's, something like that, a gun shop. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, you know, we look at all of the actions. We see how uh, God, he provided for them. The wilderness wanted. We think about the Red Sea, the deliverance that God showed. He brought them out of a land of bondage had a slavery. He miraculously parted that Red Sea, and they all walked over on dry ground. He said, oh, pastor, the, the theologians now, they say that it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, and, and so uh, that's why they walked across, and that was all good. Uh, so there was no miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea. Okay, then we'll, we'll change that. It's the miracle of the drowning of Pharaoh's army in ankle-deep water. 
uh, all the horses and the chariots and all the, uh, the, uh, uh, the soldiers that were chasing them, they all died uh, in that Reed Sea. No, the Bible says it was the Red Sea. They drowned, uh, and we believe what God says. Uh, but we see how God worked. And over and over again, what did they do? They referred to what God had done. Uh, they were praising God for his actions of the past. And God is worthy of our, our, our praise. He is worthy of the praise. Uh, Just think about the details that it took to get you saved. He said, well, pastor, um, I was born in church. My, I mean, I was in the nursery from week one uh, or week two or uh, whatever it is, week 24 now. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, you know, we've been in, been in the nursery and uh, been raised in church. And, and, and those, uh, those instances of, uh, of coming into the, to God's house, uh, whether you got saved from a life of being a reprobate or whether or not you got saved from the cradle and growing up in church and someone sharing the good news of the gospel and you putting your faith in Christ, uh, it was still the workings of Almighty God in your life. Think of all that God had to orchestrate to bring us to a place of salvation. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our praise for our salvation. He's worthy of our praise for the provision He provides day by day. God's good all the time. God's good. God's so good to us. We are such a blessed people. And I know as I look around, there are some very real problems that people face. There are relational problems. There are health problems. There are... There are, there are injustices, there are injuries, there are, there are things where people have been wounded. And I understand that. But God has never wounded us. And I will fail you, and you will fail somebody else, but God never fails. God never fails. He's worthy of our praise. So what do we find when the presence of God is back and we see there was, there was great joy that was there, but we see that there was a song they sing. Uh, the people that recognize God's presence back, uh, what do we find? We see that they praise. Thirdly, what do we see? Verse 7 through 9, give thanks or give unto the Lord all you kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear him, uh, fear before him all the earth. What do we find thirdly? We find worship. We find worship. Now, as we look at praise, we find that the, the attitude of praise, people would la- raise their hands and they would praise the Lord. But when we see worship, we find a bowing we find a, a heart that is yielding, humbling, coming before God, recognizing who he is. Not just his actions, but his essence, who he is as God. You know, when we look here, he said, give unto the Lord Give unto the Lord glory, do his name. There is this action 
Someone wrote a little poem about worship, and they said this, Thou shalt not come to the service late, talking about worship reminders. Thou shalt not come to the, to, uh, the service late, nor for the amen refuse to wait. When speaks the organ, sweet refrain, the noisy tongue, thou shalt refrain. But when the hymns are sounded out, thou shalt lift up thy voice and shout. And when the anthem thou shalt hear, thy sticky voice thou shalt not clear. And inmost seat thou shalt leave free, for, thou, for more must share the pew with thee. The offering plate thou shalt not fear, but give thine utmost with cheer. Thou shalt uh, the minister give heed, nor blame him when thou art disagreed. Unto thy neighbor thou shalt bend, and if a stranger make a friend. Thou shalt in every way be compassionate, kind, considerate, and of tender mind. And so by all thy spirit's grace thou shalt show God within this place. You know, uh, here as we look at worship, we, we find worship is what changes our whole purpose. You see, if I am truly worshiping God, then everything else is going to fall into place. You know, I can go in through the motions all by myself and not worship God. But you will not worship God without going through the motions. You see, my life is going to respond to my submission to who God is. And when I give him that place of worship, I am submitting myself to who he is. That worship, give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. So three times in these three verses, we find the, the term give. It's glory and strength, uh, glory do his name. Then we find bring an offering. Uh, just the very worship results in giving back to God. Giving him the glory do his name, but also bringing offerings to him. We look at the offerings that were given uh, during the, the time of uh, the, the uh, uh, sacrifices. and It was unbelievable when they were bringing the temple and building the temple and the tabernacle, the, just the sacrifices of the people. You, you have a love for God, you're going to give God something. And that's, uh, we see it's part of worship. Uh, our offerings are part of our worship uh, to the Lord. So when we have the Lord's presence in our life, uh, we will sing. When we have the Lord's presence in our life, we will praise. When we have the Lord's presence in our life, we will worship. Lastly, when we have the Lord's presence in our life, we will rejoice. We will rejoice. Now, that word rejoice there is a verb. In the Hebrew tense, that it's a verb. And this word is an action word. It is not a passive word. It is not a descriptive word. It's an action. And here, uh, this, uh, it, it is an active word, rejoicing. And this action word literally means to feel happiness or jo joy. It's talking about your emotion. You know, when you and I get, got saved, 
our emotions should be saved too. It ought to impact our emotions. Now, I understand joy is joy is not dependent on happenings. Happiness is the result of happiness. Joy comes from the Lord. It is a gift. But here, when we talk about rejoice, the Hebrew word that is used is tied to emotions. It is tied to feelings. Uh, 254 times in the Word of God, this Hebrew tense is used. Uh, This word is used. And it is translated uh, in the English language, uh, I will rejoice, I shall rejoice, shall be glad, be glad, be glad and sing for joy, be joyful, let the heart of them rejoice. And this word is being used over and over again. And it is impacting not just our actions, it is impacting our emotions. Our emotions. You can't have something as big as God and it not move your emotions. Amen. You see, If God is going to have that preeminence in our life, he's going to be the one that's showing. I'm not saying that everybody's going to get up and sing. You just heard why I don't get up and sing. Not everybody is going to jump on a piano and and lead uh, worship with that, or get up and, and, and preach. Not everybody's going to do that, uh, but there is something uh, for all of us to do. And with that, not only our worship, our rejoicing, we should just be joyful because of who God is in our life. Do we have the joy of the Lord? It ought to be more than just what is on the inside. It ought to come out. How will anybody know that you have the joy of the Lord if we don't smile? And I'm not saying you're going to have a smile on your face 24-7. I don't. But I, I am mindful about that. Why? Because I want, I want to have, I want people to see what's going on on the inside. Sometimes I'm not where I need to be. And I've got to stop and I've got to back up and I've got to go back to some worship. I've got to sing and lead myself to a place where I'm, I'm honoring the Lord. I've got to start praising Him. I've got to start worshiping Him. And you know what? When I sing and I praise and I worship, I rejoice. That's the result. And the Lord working in our lives as we are yielded to Him will bring these four things. They will be evident in our life. Now, you, if you're saved this morning, where are you at on these four things? You say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm all the way at the end. I'm, I'm good. I wish we could all stay there. But the reality is, this is a process we have to keep coming back to. 
Because life keep, keeps happening. And we are still human. And when we find ourselves discouraged, when we find ourselves overwhelmed, you say, Pastor, what do we do? Go back and find you a song. He starts singing. Go back and start looking at what God has done in your life and you start praising. And as you start praising, you start thinking about the character of God and how great of a God He is. And you fall before Him in worship. And all of a sudden, what we'll find is what David found in Psalm 51 when he prayed as he was coming back to God. He said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That rejoicing, that's where we need to be. And when we're not there, we got to stop and look at the ingredients of life that God has given. And he's put, it, put these things here so we can do something with it. I don't want to just be stuck with who I am. I don't want to just be stuck with where I am. I need to, I need to grow. And sometimes we might not be where we need to be. But let's be mindful enough to take this psalm. And when God took and he brought the ark back, the presence of God was coming back in their lives. They could see it visibly. Now, their results and their responses, we see these four things, these four actions. Let's allow those four things to captivate our mind so it'll keep us on track. I don't want to be in a place without God. I don't want to be without His presence in my life. I don't want, though I know He will never leave and forsake, that doesn't mean I always feel like He's with me. And what, does, what do these things do? They help us deal with the pressures and problems of life. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Thank you for just the, the instruction that you have given us in your word to be able to deal with problems and hear some things that will help us. I pray that you would uh, just lead us. You know the needs of each heart. May you work in our midst. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you say, Pastor, the Lord spoke to my heart. There were, there were some areas right there that I didn't recognize. These are, there's some things that I've got to work on. You say, Pastor, the Lord put his finger on one of these areas or multiple. I'm going to deal with some of these this morning. Pastor, that's me. That's me. Just slip your hand up. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's not just ignore them. Let's, let's do something with them. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you don't know if you died today that heaven would be your home, let me encourage you. Now is the accepted time. Don't put it off. Say, Pastor, I don't know if I died right now. I'd go to heaven. Just slip your hand up. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. I won't come back to you. I won't embarrass you, but I'll pray for you. Say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me this morning, please. All right, whatever decision it is that you need to make, let's make them today. Let's stand together. The instruments are playing. If the Lord spoke to your heart, you respond. Maybe you didn't raise your hand and you should have. The altar's open. Maybe you need to make a, an altar of your seat. Uh, maybe you're, you're here, you don't know for sure you're going to heaven. You're not sure you're saved. You come, we'll have someone take the Bible and show you what God has to say about you going to heaven. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been saved and you've not followed the Lord in believer's baptism. 
How about you follow him today? Maybe you've been saved and baptized. You feel like this is where God would have you join. You come. Whatever decision it is that you need to make, let's make it today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.